Okay, hello, it's Alex Berenie here. I'm going to read from the uh, New King's King James Bible. Um, Luke 15, 11 to 32. Um, then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, was dead and is alive again. He, has, he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a little boy once asked his Sunday school teacher if he knew what Father's Day was all about. The boy replied, well, I think it's a little bit like Mother's Day, except you don't spend quite as much money. Friends, seeing as this is my first Father's Day with you here at church in the marketplace, 
I thought I'd talk about one of the most famous and perhaps one of the most powerful of Jesus' parables, the parable we sometimes call the parable of the prodigal son, but which really is about a heartbroken prodigal father who is lavish in his generosity and love and forgiveness towards his two sons. This parable is quintessential Jesus, I reckon. It's, it's vintage Jesus. It's classic Jesus. It's one of my favourites. It sums up Jesus' life, his ministry, his teaching, and indeed his heavenly Father. It is one of my favourites because it really challenges me. If you dig beneath the surface of this parable, it's quite challenging. It's quite scandalous. You see, on the surface, things seem so unfair in this parable. So let's dig in and this Father's Day see if we can learn something about our prodigal father. You see, this word prodigal is one that you don't hear much these days other than in referring to this parable, is it? It actually means generous, super generous or extravagant to the point of being reckless or going over the top or being wasteful in your generosity. Um, but the word never actually appears in the story. Um, so rather than calling the story the prodigal son, I actually think this parable will be better titled the parable of the prodigal father, for it is the father who is truly prodigal. It is the father who is generously extravagant in extending grace to his son who didn't deserve it. It is the father, his character, his responses, who in fact is more central to the story than the actions of either of his two children. You see, the father in the story, of course, represents our heavenly father, who is prodigal in his graciousness, in his generosity, in his love and acceptance, and his graciousness to all who would accept it. So I'm here at my kitchen table with a couple of chairs to represent a few of the major different players in this story. So the father had two sons in this story. The younger son, in an act of incredible selfishness, as we all know, I think we all know this story relatively well, the younger son, uh, in an act of incredible recklessness, foolishness, makes some stupid decisions, uh, he, he asked for his share of his father's, of his inheritance, of his father's estate, something that he would normally only have received upon his father's death. Now, Jesus' original hearers at this point would have been amazed. They would have been amazed at, at such an offensive request from a son to a father. Because to do so, and listen to this, to, this request that this younger son made was to essentially wish the father dead. See, he wants the father's things, but not the father. I mean, this is unheard of, isn't it? But even more unheard of, to Jesus' original listeners in the day was, in fact, this amazing father's response. You see, an ancient Middle Eastern father would have been expected to, to drive this insolent boy out of the house with violent blows and curses and, and condemnation. Such was an act of such selfishness, such disrespect. But this father, in an incredible act of of graciousness and love for his son. His father divides his property. He, he answers to his son's request with a, with a yes. 
He gives him the freedom that he cries, that he desires. He divides his property, his estate, his land, which equated in those days to his very identity, his standing within the community. He divides it between his two sons. Now, this younger son, as we know, infamously takes the lot and takes his share and blows the lot. He squanders everything he's been given by his father on wild living. So this son that he once had is, once had two sons and now this son has turned his back on his father. Blows the lot, blows the family's inheritance, breaks his father's heart. But as we know in the story, uh, he comes to the point where where he has nothing. He has nothing left. He is broken and he is defeated. He realises that he's made some terrible choices. And so he hatches a plan to return to his father and to grovel to be able to, to be let back into the house, back as a, as a hired hand, as a hired man, because he knows that he's no longer worthy to be called a son. So this errant son returns with his tail between his legs, doesn't he? But the father spots him from far off and he runs. He, he runs. Now, this is something that a respected father back in the day would never do. He would never do such a thing in those days. He, he, he runs down the road to embrace the foolish youngster and to welcome him home. The son tries to explain to his father his, his, his plan, his, his desperate plan to make restitution, to make good. But his, his father is having none of it. He, he, he welcomes the son back into his good graces of his own accord. He puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, the ring is particularly significant in the story. It would have been like a signet ring. It would have had the family seal on it. In those days, you didn't sign a document or seal a document or add your name to it by signing it but by but by putting your family seal to the document so while the son is trying to earn his way back into right relationship with the father the father is saying no i'm bringing you back into the fold son by my authority i confer upon you the status of a son once more it's amazing. Friends, this is sheer grace. Totally undeserved. And it's totally scandalous when you think about it. This prodigal father even throws a big party to commemorate his lost son returning home. The father goes over the top. The whole performance is prodigal and extravagant. Extravagant in, in his generosity and in his grace. Now some people... I like this younger son in this story. They want the things that God gives them, that God can provide, but they don't want God. They want to live their lives their own way. They do their own thing. They don't want to be subject to anyone or anything. They want to live by their own rules and, and they think that, that that way of life will bring them happiness. But some of them realise that they were tragically wrong. They realise that they've made a terrible mistake, a terrible decision to turn their back on their father and 
Praise God they return home. And the powerful message, the wonderful message of this wonderful parable is no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what poor decisions you've made in your time, no matter what suffering you've caused those around you, the Father will welcome you home with loving, open arms. What a wonderful message. He will run and embrace you. He will restore you. He will reconcile you to himself. And all as a pure act of grace. Friends, in reality, we're all like that younger son. We've all messed up, aren't we? If we're honest. We've all arrogantly turned away and gone down paths that lead to nothing but pain and, and suffering and loneliness and alienation from the Father. But praise God, the moment we come to our senses and turn to Him, He runs to meet us. He welcomes us home and declares us to be part of His family once more. Friends, this is grace. Praise God. This is the generous, scandalously gracious God that we worship. When people think about this story, they think about it in terms of a sort of a misty-eyed, sentimental kind of terms that given the Father's amazing act of forgiveness towards his, towards his Son. But if you, if you know the context of this story, of the original story and who was listening that day, You'd know that they weren't feeling particularly warm and fuzzy. They weren't feeling particularly sentimental at this point. You see, Jesus' original listeners would have been aghast at this story. They would have been offended. They would have been outraged at this father's actions. This is a scandalous story. But the father is adamant. The lost is found and a celebration begins in the father's house but he's not done yet. Well, I'm about to do a prayer um, for fathers and it's quite fitting that in the background you can probably hear a garden power tool. Um, quite fitting that one of the dads of the neighbourhood is uh, doing that Sunday thing of doing the lawn and uh, trimming the hedge. So with that background noise, let's pray. Loving Father, parent of humanity, we pray for your human family we thank you for those who love and care as Jesus does. Thank you in particular for the love of fathers and all the ways we see that manifest in the world. Love that is fulfilling, a joy to give, rewarding and compounding. Love that builds communities of equality, compassion and kindness. But also a love that is sometimes messy, hard, helpless and a struggle. We pray for your love and support of fathers everywhere. We pray for those experiencing the joy of fatherhood for the first time and those celebrating the achievements of their children as they grow. The first smile, the first dada, the first step and the many steps to adulthood. Thank you for the fulfilling joy of such experiences. And we pray for those fathers for whom fatherhood is not easy for those who dream of a fatherhood that has not been possible. We pray for fathers not connected with their children and for children estranged from their fathers. We bring to you fathers who have been unkind, neglecting and hurting their children. Where there seems to be no hope of reconciliation and restoration, please bring, please bring that hope and forgiveness. Please comfort families separated by the pandemic. Please comfort the fathers who see their children suffer 
with illness, with troubling choices, with discrimination. We particularly think of the loving fathers of Afghani women and the loving fathers of Nigerian schoolgirls who have been kidnapped this week. How you can comfort them in their unspeakable anguish, we have no idea. But we entrust them to your fatherly love. Thank you for your enduring example of unconditional parental love. We pray for all men that they may also give unconditionally to your human family. May men of privilege use their minds and bodies and hearts for good. Make them advocates for justice. Enable them to embody the example of your compassion and forgiveness. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, at the end of Act 1 of this famous parable, everything appears to be back to normal, right? I mean, the wayward son has returned. He's returned home and, and a great feast is, is underway in the household. He's, he's been forgiven by the father. Relationships are restored. The family is reunited. So, so all's good, right? Right? Well, sadly, no. You see, there's another character in the story that we haven't met yet. The parable of the prodigal father continues in scene two of this story as big brother comes in from a hard day's work out in the paddock. He hears that his younger brother has returned home and he's not happy about it. And he's certainly not happy that a party has been thrown for this deadbeat brother of his. And he's furious about the fact that the fattened calf, the family's most precious piece of livestock, that it's been sacrificed in his honour, in, in honour of this ratbag brother of his. In fact, the older brother is so angry that he refuses to come inside. He refuses to come to the party. And now, sadly, it's his turn to rip the family apart. It's his turn to break his father's heart. By not going in, the older brother is saying, I refuse to acknowledge this brother as a member of this family. I, I don't want to be a part of this family with him in it. Now note that he doesn't even refer to, his, to him as a brother. If you go back and have a look at the text, he doesn't mention his brother. He just says to his father, this son of yours. He's pretty unhappy, this fellow. Now the father goes out to the older son, just like he did with the younger son. He comes to the older son. He makes the effort. He goes out to the older son. And Jesus says in his story that he pleads with his son. The father pleads with his son. Come in, join the feast, son. This is the happiest day of the father's life. The son that had been lost has, has been found. He's returned home and he wants his entire family to be together. But the older brother steadfastly refuses. All he sees is his father uh, using his inheritance in a way that he doesn't approve of. The fattened calf? Couldn't it have just have been a goat? What a waste. I've laboured all these years for you. I remain loyal to you, he said. Well, this son of yours went out and squandered our family's wealth. Now, I don't know about you, but I've often felt for the older brother at this point. I've often thought that the older brother had a point. How about you? I reckon, 
Some of you might have felt that way at times as well. But when you think about it, he's not really so different from his younger brother, is he? Like his younger brother back in his rebellious days, he only cares about the things he hopes to get from his father, but he doesn't really care about the father's heart at all. His father patiently tries to reason with him. My son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. And this, of course, is, is true. I mean, the younger son had already received his share of his inheritance. So everything that was left would one day be the older brothers. It was all going to be his. But all the older brother can see at this point is his inheritance diminishing. The father pleads with him. He pleads with his son to come in, son. But the oldest brother is having none of it. He's out there in the darkness. The father comes to him and says, son, come in. We had to celebrate. Your, your brother was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Come. And just when we want to know if the family is going to be reunited and, and come together at last at the family table. At that point, Jesus ends the parable. We're never told if the older brother comes in from the darkness and joins the feast. This is a, this is a cliffhanger. So what's going on here? And what is Jesus trying to get across? Jesus, the master storyteller, is trying to get you and I to think. He's, he's jarring us out of our cosy religious complacency, I think. You see, it's a jarring story because he turns the tables on our predictable way of thinking of ours, about, about the way to enter into the kingdom of heaven, about the way to the Father. You see, in the first act, we've seen easily recognized picture of what a sinful person looks like. Someone that's turned his back on God and foolishly gone his own way and starts living selfishly and foolishly and immorally. Yeah, we, we, I think we get that, don't we? We recognise this sinner. We recognise this guy's done the wrong thing. But by the end of this second act, Jesus has pulled the rug out, the rug out from underneath all of our assumptions, hasn't he? We realise that both sons are guilty in their own way. They've both been using the father to get what they want. One had been doing it by being very, very bad, but the other had been manipulating the father by being very, very good. So does the older son refuse to come in? Why does he, why does he act like he does? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? All these years I worked for you, never disobeyed you. See, the thing that's been keeping this older brother from returning to the father is not his sin. It's his sense of righteousness, self-righteousness. It's his own sense of goodness, his own sense of what he's worth that's stopping him from coming to the father. The younger brother was trying to get control by leaving and disobeying and breaking the rules. The older brother is trying to get control of the father by staying and obeying and keeping all of the rules. But Jesus is saying they're both alienated from the Father in their respective willfulness. And there's a lot of Christians out there, probably myself included if I'm honest at times, with an older brother type of heart. How about you? If in your heart of hearts you say, look, I do all the right things, therefore God, you owe it to me to, 
to give me good things and take me to heaven when I die. If that's you, then you're really just trying to get God to give you what you want. Older brothers obey to get things from God. And if those things aren't forthcoming, they can be very angry and indignant. But gospel-believing Christians obey God just to get God. <laughs> just to know him, just to delight in his presence. The tragedy of this older son is that he never realized that as a son, he did not have to earn his father's love. He always had it. It was always there. It was given, it was free, and it was abundant. So what's truly stunning about this parable is the way that it ends. This would have been wildly controversial to Jesus' first hearers. And I suspect for many of us still today, the younger brother who had disobeyed, but who had repented, he is now enjoying the feast with the father. But the older brother, the one who had done everything right, is, is left indignant outside in the darkness as far as we know. And in the process, he risks breaking the father's heart all over again. Friends, most people think God wants good people, but this parable shows us that God wants new people, repentant people. We like to think that good people get good things from God and bad people get rejected and punished by him. But Jesus says here in this parable, uh, he says things a little bit differently. Jesus says here that although they look on the surface as though they're, they're very different kinds of people, underneath they're actually the same. They were both lost unless they give up trying to run their own lives and do their own thing. Only when they surrender can they return into the Father's presence and enjoy his blessings. So ask yourself this Father's Day, friends, what kind of a father is this? What kind of a God is this? Well, can I encourage you to think that firstly it's one who gives us great freedom. He doesn't force us into moral living. He trusts us with great responsibility and with great possession. This is a father who, even when we selfishly squander what he's given us, still runs to embrace us. This is a father who runs and leaps for joy when an apparently worthless sinner returns home. This is a father who welcomes the scoundrel to the family table. And this is a father who goes out into the darkness to sulking, sanctimonious types who can't cope with the amazing grace that the Father lavishes, lavishes upon those that they consider to be unworthy. The scandal of the gospel is that our prodigal father is not in the business of accruing debts and demanding payment. Our Heavenly Father says to us, everything that I have is yours. Come and have life to the full. Come to the feast. Come and have life like I designed it to be lived. Life is meant to be lived in celebration, in fellowship with our Heavenly Father, with our prodigal Heavenly Father. You will mess it up from time to time, of course, there's no doubt about that. But this story shows that the, the Father's amazing grace abounds. God's grace is lavished on everyone who will receive it through faith in the Son. The only way to miss out on God's amazing grace is to Refuse your seat at the table. One son nearly missed out because 
He'd ran so far from the table that he nearly didn't make it home. The other may yet still miss out if he refuses to sit at the table with his brother. This father of ours, this God, this prodigal God welcomes sinners and eats with them, praise God. But not all are willing to join him in the feast. Friend, won't you come? Won't you come in from the darkness? Won't you come in from the cold? Won't you join your prodigal father at the table? Won't you come and sit with your family at the table? Come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive grace. Come and receive abundant life in this life and the next today. Amen.